0: Welcome to Career Day
1: on the MarTech Podcast. Today we're going to learn about the skills accumulated and lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on his career. Joining us for Career Day is Business Insider's top marketing and technology executive to watch for this year. David Steinberg is the CEO of Zeta Global, which is a data powered marketing technology company that combines the scale of proprietary data with the science of artificial intelligence to help Fortune 1000 and middle market brands acquire, grow, and retain customer relationships. And outside of Zeta, David has been named the Greater Washington Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year for Communications back in 2002. He's also an emeritus board member at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Washington, and Jefferson College, and he currently sits on the board of director at the Greater Washington Sports Alliance and Faster Cures. Okay, here's our interview with CEO of Zeta Global, David Steinberg. David, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you, Ben. It's great to be here. It's an honor and a privilege to have you here on the show. Your reputation precedes you, and I'm excited to hear a little bit about your path in marketing. You mentioned in our pre-meeting that you've never really had a job working for someone else, but you've had a very distinguished career. Let's go from the beginning. How did you get into marketing?
2: Well, I started off in the wireless business. I had been working for Senator Kennedy in D.C. on the Hill, and I started reading about what was happening in the wireless space and had a fortuitous experience in the wireless ecosystem. And I ended up starting a company that became Sterling Cell, which was one of the larger cellular carriers. But the vast majority, even through my first three companies, I was in wireless. This is my fifth company, Zeta Global. But I became an entrepreneur originally for the same reason a lot of people become entrepreneurs. Nobody would hire me. I came out of school in 1990. And it was the last Great Recession before the most recent Great Recession, and there was just no jobs out there. So we figured out that wireless was going to be a good place to go. And even though my first three companies were all in the wireless space, marketing was at the absolute core of our companies and how we were able to grow them rapidly and turn them into pretty interesting businesses. So, you've got an
1: entrepreneurial background, you worked in politics, and you mentioned that you saw marketing as an important part of your discipline for being an entrepreneur. Were you always the head of the companies that you were working for? What was your role? What were you doing early on in your career when you were getting your first taste of career experience?
2: The truth of the matter is, I actually founded the first company I was ever a formal employee for and have been the founder of the five companies I've run over 30 years. I did work as an employee on the Hill for Senator Kennedy, which was really interesting, but no real kind of third party employment experience. Now, that being said, I have worked for lots of shareholders. And when I look at the businesses I run, I feel like we have a number of constituencies in which I work for, right? So you've got obviously the board of directors, you've got the investors. And you've got your employees, which is a mission-critical component of some of the people I report to. And it's been interesting. But I was in the wireless business for a number of years. And when I left my last company, we took it public, and then I left it, I had a non-compete in wireless. So I said, you know, marketing has been at the absolute heart of everything I've done for all these years. I wanted to start a dedicated data and analytics company that could help large companies create, maintain, and monetize customers. Because when I ran my last company, which was called Infonic, we had 14 or 15 different vendors to help us with our marketing. My whole theory was, how do we build a data analytics and software company that you could do everything in one place? And that was the real goal of what we do today at Zeta. So you go
1: through being an early stage, I guess initially was a startup founder, but your company does relatively well when you are a young, not even an employee. Normally these conversations go, well, hey, here's where I started and I got some operating experience. You were an
2: executive out of the gate. Well, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I started it on my own in my basement in Bethesda, Maryland, back when I lived in DC and was working on the hill many years ago. But the truth of the matter is I've developed the careers of the people around me over the 30 years that I've run five pretty sizable businesses that I founded. So I, I really understand how to start out as an individual contributor. And for better or worse, when I started my first company, I was an individual contributor. I started it by myself, <laughs> so I was the uh, chief cook and bottle washer, and, and did pretty much everything. And then as we were able to expand, that I moved from a kind of an individual contributor into what you would consider management, for me, it was about the hardest part of that was delegating responsibility, right? Because for most of us, we're so used to when we're individual contributors, we're used to doing everything ourselves. As you grow inside of an institution, you have to be able to bring people in, first and foremost, that are exceptional at what you lack, And that's very hard for most people to do, but it's the single most important attribute of career development and growth is making sure that as you move up, you try to really understand what your weaknesses are. And as you understand your weaknesses, bring in people that that is their strengths. And that is, to me, the single best way to grow in management.
1: So you've essentially had the same role throughout your entire career, where you're the lead executive, you're developing these companies, and you worked in cellular technology, which explains why you have an understanding of technology for your current business, but you move towards a marketing-specific business later in your career. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. Talk to me about what the industry was like when you started. What was Excel Marketing and is now Zeta Global? And how has it shifted over the last 10 or 12 years since you've been running this business?
2: As I said, marketing has been at the core of what I've done for 30 years. It just was a question of moving from marketing a single product around the wireless technology to helping other companies create, maintain, and monetize their customers versus it being core to our own product line. The real thought process was, A, we could do vendor consolidation. B, we had a real opportunity because we were looking at Moore's Law and a number of the other technologies really coming together in a way that, you know, to run some of the data reports that we now run in milliseconds, it would have taken days, even 10, 15 years ago. But what we really felt and the trend that we were looking at is, The entire marketing ecosystem was going to move from what was, at the time, even 12 years ago, more of a, quote, madman" type environment, where relationships ruled the day on how marketing dollars were deployed. That's really how that space worked for a very long time. Everything was very brand-driven as well. Well, the same. I mean, one leads to the other, right? Because there's no real attribution to building a brand. So we took a completely different tact. Our tact was everything comes down to the data and the analytics and the ability to build attribution models so you know exactly what you're investing to create, to maintain, or to save a customer. And to me, that was the future of marketing when we first looked at how we were going to build Zeta as an organization. And at the time... There were a lot of people who thought we were crazy back. They're like, this is never going to change. And today, anybody who's not doing data-driven marketing and CRM is a dinosaur. Even the big ad platforms, the holding companies have moved to it. So that was really what existed versus what we thought was going to exist and what we were building. I think the other big difference between us and a lot of other companies is Most of the companies out there that do marketing technologies are ingesting third-party data. We own the second largest data cloud in the world, which is fully integrated into our marketing cloud. To my knowledge, we're the only platform that merges a data cloud and a marketing cloud into one ecosystem. We don't sell our data. We use our data to build signals to create intent-based scores. So this consumer has a very high level of intent to buy a red minivan in the next 30 days. This consumer not only has a very high level of intent to subscribe to this elite credit card, but there's a 73% likelihood they're going to be credit approved. This consumer who has been on this wireless carrier's platform for three years has begun to do research on competitive products and services. And we now believe there's an 82% likelihood that this person is going to churn off. All of these intent-based scores are built based on the behaviors that come out of our data cloud, which are all processed through natural language processing, artificial intelligence platforms, which allow us to build these scores on intent to purchase or intent to churn. And that's just a massive differentiator between some of the other companies that are out there. And I'm not trying to do an infomercial. It's fascinating to me that, A, you're
1: ahead of the adoption curve in terms of data-driven marketing, right? You started a data-driven marketing company that feeds into people's CRMs and gives these propensity to buy scores 12 years ago, which is something that most companies are trying to adopt now. As you started the company and have this vision of data-driven marketing and you're ahead of the curve, how did you get through the early stages where you're selling a technology that people aren't used to adopting as opposed to now everyone is looking for more data, everyone is looking for more data science and ways to integrate more precision into their marketing? When you
2: were still in the Mad Men era of marketing in the early 2000s. Well, listen, let me start by saying it was really freaking painful then. We didn't have the entire vision laid out back then as we do today. But data analytics was at the absolute heart of the founding of the company. And by the way, my partner, John Scully, and I founded it together. So I didn't just found this one.
1: That is the same John Sully, who is the CEO of Apple and
2: Pepsi. Yeah, I always joke. John's been my co-founder through three companies and he tends to be a little bit better known than I am. Rightfully so. Forget about the fact he was the CEO of Pepsi and the CEO of Apple. He created the Pepsi Challenge and he created the Apple 1984 ad. So I love to say that we have one of the most iconic marketing guys in history as our co-founder and vice chairman. And we do this really fun kind of, we call it from the Pepsi challenge to big data, where it's kind of a talk we give together.
1: When John comes up in conversations, does everyone somehow find a way to work in like Steve Jobs or the conversation with Apple?
2: Oh my gosh. Well, it depends on the circumstance because we do this big trip with clients to the masters every year. And John is such a amazing man that he he like tells all of the old stories to everybody because it's like 20 of us close nobody's around. He can really be very honest and transparent. And it's just so great to see him in that. Most people who meet him for the first time, they don't start by saying, Hey, tell me the sugar water story or tell me what happened with jobs at the end. You know what I mean? It's they're generally too intimidated by John to like start with that. It is a little bit of a celebrity sighting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I always jokingly say, and I say this with absolute love, John is weirdly nice. He is legitimately one of the nicest human beings. Him and his wife, Diane, are are my wife and I, Kristen's among our closest friends. And people will come up, we'll be at lunch, we'll be at dinner, somebody will come up and say, I worked at Apple in 1988 and you were the CEO and most guys, and I know a lot of very, very successful people, they'll smile, they'll say, thank you for saying hello, and that's it. John will stand up. And if he doesn't directly remember the person, which happens a weirdly often amount of times, he'll literally say, who did you work with? And what project were you on? And they, he'll talk, I mean, to the point where it's like totally disruptive to my dinner. But <laughs> he's just so nice that he does that for people. He is a total rock star and I love partnering with him.
1: Well, it's an important part of the company, but we were talking about, how, when you were ahead of the adoption curve, and you're starting Data Global.
2: Yeah, it was painful. I mean, we'd go into meetings. I mean, first, we started off trying to pitch the agencies. So we went into these agencies and said, we can build models that you can directly attribute the marketing to transactions. And they would laugh at us. Like, why would we want to do that? That's counterproductive for us. So we said, shit, we better go direct to the enterprise. And today, over 80% of Zeta's global revenue comes from direct relationships with enterprises. We've recently started buying some companies in the programmatic ecosystem to leverage our data into programmatic, which we do plug in and we love working with the agencies on that side of our business. But it was a slog. And the crazy thing is, the earliest adopters of our concepts were the old school for-profit education companies because they were so metrics-oriented around how much it cost them to get an enrollee. So we built a big business initially around kind of those for-profit education companies. This is literally 12 years ago. And we had a lot of success with them. But then a number of years after we started working with them, regulatory change came into the for-profit education space and really decimated that industry with the regulatory change. And we pivoted quickly To add financial services, insurance, health and wellness, high-end travel, automotive, communication services. But if it wasn't for those for-profit education clients in those early years, it would have been a much, much tougher slog than it was. And to this day, the vast majority of our revenue still comes from companies that are very, very metrics-oriented. You know, education now is a minuscule percentage of our revenue only because of what happened to them as companies. Most of them are either gone or have completely restructured. But the fact that financial services and insurance and high-end travel and automotive, those are the types of companies that we do the most with today.
1: I'm curious to hear how you think the marketing landscape has changed and evolved sort of in Zeta Global's favor, where marketers are now being more data-driven. There's more engineering, more data science that goes into marketing. And obviously, there's still a creative component to it as well. But as marketing has become a more precise medium, how does that help Zeta Global? And what are the types of companies and who are the types of marketers that you work with today?
2: I don't think I have any permissioning to use company logos on the record or company names on the records. What I can tell you is we have 1,000 global enterprise clients, over half of which are in the Fortune 1000. And I think 25% of the Fortune 100 work with us. So it's no longer kind of small companies that are looking to do this type of stuff, right? I think that to your exact point, Ben, and I think you nailed it, companies are interested in actual hard data, data science, how can they get to know not just potential customers, but also their existing customers. One of the differentiators about our business is we do customer acquisition, we do customer retention, and we do customer monetization all from one platform, all from one data cloud. So when a company starts with us, they can start by saying, hey, let's do a customer acquisition campaign. And our pitch is really funny, we've gotten it down to a simplified pitch where if you do a $50,000 marketing test on our platform, if we can't cut your effective cost to create a customer by at least 25%, we will give you all of your money back. So it's really a frictionless sale. We're then able to do that, call it 99% of the time. The biggest challenge we run into with some of these big companies is when we start with such a small number, they all say, well, can you scale? And we have some clients that spend millions of dollars a month on our platform and other clients that you know, spend hundreds of thousands. But as the market gets more attribution driven, as the market gets more data analytics, artificial intelligence driven, and as the market becomes more and more understanding of the power of the ownership of first party data, Zeta is continuing to win. And we think that it's continuing to move in our direction.
1: So I'm curious from a career perspective, what the game plan is. Obviously you're running a large and successful and growing company, but you're somewhat hamstrung by waiting for the market from the shore to be able to recognize the value that Zeta has. You know, it takes a fair amount of sophistication to be able to use a platform like Zeta or to grow a team that has the capabilities to use that. So. To me, that indicates that you're focused on some of the bigger relationships the Fortune 1000 type companies, not necessarily down market. Do you feel like there is room for growth for you personally, professionally, for the company?
2: So we're not just waiting for people to recognize this. We're now 1,600 employees operating out of 25 offices on four continents with 1,000 enterprise customers. And we are, as we jokingly say, not just growing revenues at a very rapid clip, we are very profitable as an organization while growing revenues at a very rapid clip. We're already at that rule of 40, if you know what that is, where you've got kind of your growth plus your operating margin equal 40. So we're at a pretty good place organizationally. But at the end of the day, to your point, for me as an executive, you know, one of the things I learned early is I'm not good at a lot of stuff. So Steve Gerber, who's our president and COO, Really is the operational manager of the business. Steve Vine, who's my general counsel and runs corporate development, is a total rock star and really handles that. And as you think of the team and our growth and where we're going, my ability to focus on the things that I really enjoy, which are relationship management with large customers, potential customers, capital formation, and strategy, really frees me up to focus on the things that I think I excel at and really frees me up to do the things I really enjoy. The other thing that's been important to me so I don't go crazy, because for guys like me, you know, you get these businesses to a certain size, you start to feel a little constricted, if you know what I mean. We run a fund as well, which invests in startup technology and marketing businesses. So I get to be involved in the startup theme through the fund, in addition to running the large operating company. And that's kept me really sane. And it's allowed me to really grow personally in addition to the focus on operating the business.
1: Last question I have before we let you go. You've been an executive of a handful of companies. Zeta Global has 1,600 employees. It's a large organization across multiple continents. For aspiring entrepreneurs, for the marketers that are out there that want to be the head honcho, want to be in charge, what career advice do you have for them to get to, and then be successful in your seat?
2: The most important thing about being a successful entrepreneur is bringing the people in who do what you do not do well, and you have to actually listen to them. It's not just hiring people with a big resume, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs have raised a lot of money with the great idea and a guy who's got a great resume sitting next to them. It doesn't actually work unless the person sitting next to you is exceptional at what you do badly, and is willing to work as hard as you are. That's once you get started. I mean, aptitude for risk, the ability to understand how to manage and work and get people excited. And then, of course, you could look at almost every statistic on successful entrepreneurs. The single most important one is picking a large and growing market. So you can make lots of mistakes, but still grow with it. You have to be exceptional to build a successful business in a shrinking market. (laughs) So it's the space you pick, aptitude for risk, the ability to bring in people who work well where you don't, and your ability to lead are all really important.
1: Well, David, I know that you're a busy man, so we'll let you go. But I just want to say before we do, I really appreciate you taking the time to come be a guest on the MarTech podcast and tell us about your career and about Zeta
2: It was really fun, Ben. Thanks
1: so much for having me. Okay, and that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to David Steinberg, CEO of Zeta Global, for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about David, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can visit his company's website, which is zetaglobal.com, Z-E-T-A-G-L-O-B-A-L.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com, dot com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests, You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, see all of the episodes that we're publishing. You can send us your topic suggestions or ask your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. We set up our new Twitter handles. They are MarTechPod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D, on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we publish episodes every day during the week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to focus on keeping your customers happy.